Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse. I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is a podcast to help you save the best and burn the rest of your culture and faith practices. And today we are not alone. I'm sure you've read the title of the podcast episode, but we are joined by a very special guest, maybe first guest from Adelaide, Matt Hunter. Hey, how are you guys? <laughs> Doing well. Great. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for being on here with us. It's a bit. We've been thinking about having you on for ages, so it's nice to finally make it happen yeah well i kind of had to ring my mom and tell her that hey i'm going to be on burn the haystack you know? <laughs> i'm sure she's very proud of you <laughs> yep. and your majestic beard is on camera with us it makes us both a bit jealous i think yeah yeah hey it's it's uh it's a wonderful thing <laughs> and I'll, but, but so does my wife and that's the most important thing yes that's, that's a rare thing that is a rare thing the amount of women that i know who would absolutely balk at having a husband with such majestic uh, facial hair. Uh, it seems like a fairly, fairly small um, demographic of women who actually really dig it. So you're lucky, man. Yeah. Well, the funny thing was when I actually met her. Um, you know, we were good friends, and there's a whole group of us. And uh, one day I, I shaved the beard off because we we're doing Movember, and so mm. I shaved it all back. And the first thing she came up to me, she came up and said, "Don't like it? Grow it back." I just went, you're the one. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. (laughs) Uh, Hey, so for those of um, our crew who don't know who you are, Matt, can you just give us a quick bio of just who you are, what you do, where you're from? Yeah, like I'm an Adelaide boy originally and uh, grew up here, was uh, an engineer, so studied engineering and did that. Uh, and yeah, I just felt a call to, to go into ministry. And so one of the, the passions I've had for a long time is just church planting and seeing new expressions of church. And uh, so currently I'm back in Adelaide. I've been here for six years and I've got an established church, which is Elizabeth that I work in. And we're also planting a new church in a, in a growing suburb called Manapara in the north of Adelaide. Um, and that's been a bit of a journey over the last few years doing that, but it's been exciting and uh First opportunity to really sort of sink my teeth into an area I've been passionate about um, for quite a while. That's so cool. Um, so yeah, this this episode we're going to be unpacking um, a bit more about the kind of church that you guys have, but also talking about home churches, um, talking about Francis Chan because he's always an interesting person to talk about, and uh, <laughs> and I guess how the church responds to the needs of the the world around it these days so lots of interesting stuff in this episode but first we need to cover the most important content and that is the question of the week okay <laughs> which is fantastic <laughs> so I'm no scared. one here knows the question of the week except no don't be scared you'll love it no one here knows question of the week except me so that's what always makes it fun and jesse seems to like keeping it that way so i like keeping um, it on my toes man it's good yep <laughs> and um so me and Matt, we're both total Star Wars geeks, so I thought this if I was ever going to do this question, this would be the week to do it. So, you are now a Star Wars character in the Star Wars universe at any time period you choose, and you get to be that person or character, creature, I don't know, for a whole year. 
So it has to be a living one. So no droids um, and Ooh. no rocks or anything. You have to be a living rocks. creature from the Star Wars universe for one year in their context. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. So you have to go through everything that character would go through for a whole year. Who do you be? That's a surprisingly easy answer. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe one that you wouldn't think of. And this person isn't strictly in canon yet, but they potentially okay, might fine. be. So, yep. <laughs> so I'm delving into like EU stuff, but there's enough kind of references that this person might exist. Yep. Um, I, I love um, Revan or Darth Revan, Ooh. if if you're oh. familiar with that stuff. Yep, um, so, like, as far as interesting characters, because he kind of has the both the, the dark and you know and the light side sort of aspect. I reckon mm. he'd just be a fascinating character to get in his head. So, yeah. Mm. That's yeah, cool. he's kind of similar. Like Kylo Ren is kind of loosely based on him, very loosely based. But yeah, pretty interesting character. When yeah. um, the Kylo Ren's the, the the bratty teenager version of him, I guess. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I seem to remember when um, the Force Awakens first came out, people were saying that this is Darth Revan. I I I, f- I feel like I remember that. That was one of the big predictions back in the day. Yeah. Mm. That's cool. Mm, That's good. cool. That's, That's good. That's good one. All right. All right. What about you, Jesse? I'm going to completely upset the both of you and <laughs> say I want to be Jar Jar Binks. Uh, <laughs> Darth Jar Jar? Darth Jar Jar. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason, the reason is because Jar Jar Binks is the most baffling character in all of Star Wars canon, to me at least, because... He is completely incompetent in every way, and yet he constantly finds himself in positions of authority, witnessing important events, being best buddies with really great stuff, with really, you know, the the main characters. And he, we don't, do we know in canon what happens to him after Revenge of the Sith? Is that like, is there something in canon that that says what happens to him? Because he kind of disappears off the map a little bit. A little bit. I assume he just kind of gets offed at some point by the Emperor or Darth Vader or something. I don't know. No. Have you... Uh, I don't Have you read... Uh, oh, what book was it in? It was one of the Aftermath books, eh? Okay. Yeah there, yeah, there was, actually. There's a reference to him, but I don't know if it really fully answered the question. Mm. Yeah. Okay. See, I, it, I, it, I think... I, Jar Jar is obviously such a controversial character, but I love him for the reason that he just always seems to find himself in the midst of everything, but he ends up just totally fine after it all the time, every single time. Mm. Well, for those who are curious, and you can just Google this, uh, the cur- I think current car- canon says that Jar Jar basically ended up... Um, this it sounds, it sounds like I'm joking, but he ended up pretty much on the streets as like a street performer, <laughs> trying to hide... <laughs> I know you're laughing, but it's he's actually trying to hide from all the shame because uh, it was pretty much his fault that the Empire happened. So he's just resorted to just... Yeah, I think he's like a street performer and he's like almost homeless. It's pretty... It was like... He just gets like a... It was like a couple of sentences. It's pretty sad. I haven't read the... I, don't, I haven't read the book okay. that it came from. I've only read the first in the Aftermath books. But anyway. That makes sense. Yep. Yeah. That makes, in, in Coruscant? Yeah. Does he stay in Coruscant? Oh, I'm not sure what planet it was on, actually. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, for me, yes. I'm also going with an episode one character, uh, Qui Gon Jinn. Oh, nice. Always been a, always been a, 
a Jedi that I really appreciated and, we, and I've always wanted like wish we got more of his story yeah um, there is some there is some extra canon stuff but I don't know I've always just wanted to really see it uh, because I, he just always seemed to me like one of the Jedi that was other than Yoda who's like seems to be like really at one with the force and mm. seems to just be really comfortable with his Jedi identity and I don't know mm. yeah I just really I always liked him so I just think he'd be any you know the cool long hair Liam Neeson plays him pretty cool guy at the end yeah. of the day so yeah I'd always I've been interested so I would pick Qui-Gon Jinn you need to work on the goatee oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> you could definitely and my hair I, needs I, to be about double the length I could see I could see it though bro like in maybe in a, a couple more decades total Qui-Gon sort of cosplay be sick thanks there's always a bigger fish. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and see right, as Jar See as Jar Jar, I get to I get to experience all that without actually doing anything useful. <laughs> oh, you do useful stuff. You just don't mean to do it. Yeah. True. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. All right, all right. Good Sweet. good times. Yeah, please. good stuff. All right. Let's get into it. <laughs> Yeah, no, let's. Um, so, Matt, uh, you've told us a little bit about yourself um, getting into ministry, but do you want to give us maybe a little bit of a snapshot of, okay, so you're an engineer, you feel the call to go into ministry. Um, tell us about that journey and then tell us uh, about how that kind of led you to where you are today. Were you married before ministry? No. So, yeah, I, I, I met my wife while I was at college and... Um, I guess when I was an engineer, I sort of had that call in my life when I was still studying. And uh, it was kind of that toss-up, like, do I just sort of, like, ditch my study or do I finish it? So that was kind of interesting. I was sort of wrestled with that, and I ended up deciding to finish my study and go to do the, the grad dip after. And I fully expected when I finished my course that that would be it. You know, I will just go straight into going to do theology. Um and it was weird because I ended up working for four years as an engineer and um, it is that weird kind of thing like God said, hey, this is what I want you to do. But then he just went and closed the door and just went, not yet. So, mm. um, but I think that was a really formative sort of time for me. Um, and I think that's exactly what God wanted. There were so many lessons that I had to learn um, about life and about all that sort of stuff that just have been so helpful in ministry, understanding, you know, the workplace, understanding other people. So, yeah, I guess that kind of um, led to it. And, I, I mean, it's unfair for me to throw this little, you know, um, bombshell in there. But um, it's funny because I'd had lots of people say, you know, hey, look, I, we think that you should go into ministry previously. But when I finally actually made the jump and went over to um, college and the doors kind of opened, uh, it was actually uh, the HR person from my work who she was a self-professed gay atheist, mm. right? Mm. <laughs> and she... Like, she was the one that basically called me into ministry. Um, okay, well, really explain yourself. What, what, what do you mean? <laughs> I, I told you it was unfair. But <laughs> um, So, basically, she, she worked half-time for our company as a HR person and half-time as a careers counsellor. And one day she called me into, my, uh, into her office and she goes, look, I'm taking my hat off from work because they're really happy with you. You know, you're project managing, you're making 40% profits on your jobs and stuff like this. So no one's got any issue with what you're doing as an engineer. She said from a careers counselling perspective, it just seems like you're not fully settled and that you, you know, there's something else you want to do. And I just kind of sat there sort of stunned and I went, 
because um, I was at the point where I was kind of like, well, maybe I can be a lay minister the rest of my life, you know, work as an engineer and do stuff. Um, I just went, well, okay, yeah, that's true. Like, there is something else. And she's like, oh, so what is it? And I said, oh, well, actually, it's theology. And she goes, oh, I thought so. And I'm like, oh. what do you mean you thought so? Like, no, not, not geology, like theology. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, yeah, yeah, no, I know. Um, and she said something that blew me away. She said in her career, careers counselling uh, uh, business, 70% of the engineers that came through ended up going on and becoming pastors. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> that, and I was like... That's a weird anomaly. I know. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. And then I got to um, Avondale, and out of the six people doing the grad dip, three were engineers. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't, I don't get it. Do you have a theory on that? Or is it just, just a weird thing that you just is mystifying to you? Well, I've had a lot of other people um, comment and say that they found that's a very, you know, it's very true. Um, and I reckon people who go into engineering, like, they might like the engineering, the mathematics side of it, but if they're people, you know, they're, they're person, you know, people, people, um, that, you know, engineering would suck the life out of you. It does suck the life out of you if you're, right. a, you know, a people person. So, um so what you tend to do is go in the extreme opposite direction. <laughs> and if, you, if you've got a faith, like, then it makes sense becoming a pastor. So okay, that's my, yeah. Wow. Oh, that's crazy. That's very bizarre and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you go to Avondale and you throw yourself into it. And what happens uh, after that? Yeah, so I get called down to Victoria. Um, and that's where I meet the illustrious Josh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Good times. Yeah. Um, no, but you sort of get down there and um, I spent a, a year at uh, Greensboro, which is in the northeast of uh, Melbourne, and then three years at Lilydale and one as a chaplain. And then I head out to Bansdale um, for three years, which is eastern Victoria, out in the countryside, um, sort of near Josh's old stomping ground, I guess. Yeah, it's like, like uh, uh, yeah, it was my mum's my mum's hometown, but I was in Sale when I was a kid, so it's like an hour away, so pretty close. Yeah, pretty close. I spent a lot of time in Bansdale when I was a kid. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I guess the thing was, like, I was passionate about church planting, but none of the, the, the places where I ministered, it sort of made any sense. Um, uh, but just developed a passion for um, connecting with the community and and trying to, you know, figure out ways to, in a real way, connect with our community wherever I was. Um, and so when I got called over to South Australia back home, um, which was a pretty cool thing to sort of get called back home, um, mm-hmm got put out in the north of Adelaide and I just was driving around and, and in the northern suburbs there, like noticed in this one area where like within six months there was a McDonald's went up and a Hungry Jack's went up and all this sort of stuff and you see this growth and I guess one of the things I know is that uh, like I think Barna Research did this, that people um, often won't even consider faith won't even consider Christianity um, until they've had like six different yeah. introductions to it. Yeah. Um, 
mm. you know, at least six different contacts, and that's different types of contacts. Mm. Um, and the other thing as well is that people are more open to faith when they're going through a major life transition, you know, new, uh, you know, death in the family, a new job, uh, new child in the family, moving house. And mm. in these new suburbs, everyone's going through a major life transition because they're all new houses, you know. Oh, um, right. So it's it's really fertile ground for the gospel, you know, for, for the gospel and starting churches. And I've got a little sort of thing in the back of my mind is where ev- wherever we see big companies, um, like in Australia we've got Woolworths, which is a big um, – you know, supermarket chain, wherever they are investing and building, you know, big shopping centres and stuff like this, um, they've done the demographic research. They know that's a growth area. Wherever we see a shopping centre being built, we should plant a church. Wow, that's actually True. a really interesting insight that I've never even considered. Yeah. Because so what you're saying is essentially if they've done the demographic research, it's a growing area, then there is obviously a consumer need, which would suggest that there's also a parallel spiritual need there. Correct. And they're, they're developing a new community. And yeah. so we really, as, as churches, need to be a part of that. And in fact, the old school, Elizabeth was a, um, itself was a brand new suburb, which the, the uh, government in South Australia created in, in the north. And when they did that, they actually gave every single church um, a parcel of land uh, to have a church in the community because they saw the importance of church being a part of the community that they were creating. Wow. Oh, Whoa. man. I wish that was the, that was still the case today. <laughs> yeah. But I guess the thing is, and, and I suppose I'll, I'll segue into a, <clears throat> another little thought, <clears throat> which sort of comes into what we're sort of thinking about with our church plant, is that I don't know if you've heard of the three spaces of life. Um, that we tend to have. <clears throat> so basically the thought is that your first space is your home. That's where you're safe. That's where you spend the majority of your time. And, you know, that's that's your, your little castle where you go to <clears throat> retreat from the world. Mm-hmm. Second space is work. Um, <clears throat> you know, that's where you go to work and everything else in that dynamic. The third space um, is really powerful. The third space is where you go to be in the community, where you go to connect with people, where you go to spend time and connect with others. And so that can be sporting clubs, that can be cafes, that can be shopping centres, all these things are third spaces. And probably 50, 60, 100 years ago, um, the church was a third space. It was a community hub, Mm -hmm. you know, genuinely was a place that connected people to each other and where people went to not just worship God, but to meet with each other and actually serve different things that would happen that, you know, it connected people together. Whereas that's not true today. Um, So in a way we're thinking about, you know, where we see these new communities growing, that what we need to do is we need to go in as a church, but we need to go in as a third space. Mm. So, go in and reclaim that third space in a way where we can connect with people in a natural way um, in that sort of environment, but also be church there at the same time. Wow, that's cool. That's cool. So what do you think, why do you think churches aren't a third space nowadays and what do we have to do to transition to be a third space again? 
Well, number one, like we've we've made it that way, I think, because we've made it a club for the people who fit in. Right. Um, you know what I mean? And so we've created this culture which is totally disconnected from everyone else. We have our own talk. We have our own, you know, weird sort of ways of doing stuff that you don't yep. understand unless you're a part of it. <clears throat> and so it's really not inviting. It's not um, connected. And I guess there are, look, there are some traditional models of church that do it well. You know, they <clears throat> might run community programs or whatever else that actually genuinely connect with the community, and that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, I think we've sort of disconnected it in a, in a way because uh, we've made it about us. We haven't sort of orientated ourselves towards meeting the community we've orientated all of what well not all so we've orientated a lot of what we do towards us and meeting our needs and serving us you know yeah i hear this talk a lot in um especially like higher up uh discussions with conference officials a lot of the time when we talk about church planting the first one of the first questions that is asked is are there any adventists in that area you know so that's the first that's the first thought that we have is, oh, are there Adventists over there? Can we cater to their needs because they're they're part of our little club? Yep. Yeah. So, <clears throat> and that whole club mentality is really is really very strong. Um, uh, so, like I said, we have, uh, uh, and what we're trying to do is we're trying to break the mold. What we have tried to do, and our philosophy with our church plant <clears throat> is totally deconstruct everything about church strip it right back to the bare knuckles and rebuild everything. And and if what we're doing does not intentionally understand the community, who the community is and what their needs are, and is orientated towards meeting them and actually connecting with them, then what's the point of doing it? Mm. If it's not if if what we do is not missional, then why are we doing it? Mm. Who, who what purpose is it for, you know? Yeah. Because the, the reality is, like, God didn't leave us here on earth as the church to gather together each week and be this little group that, like, hey, we're all, like, encouraging each other and staying safe and safe, safe from the world and everything else. He, he left us here to actually um, share his message with the world. Yeah. Because, you know, the church, the church community is not our home. Um, heaven is. And that's where we're trying to get to. So if all we're doing is trying to meet just our needs, you know what I mean, and just doing it for us, um, then we're, we're actually, not in, actually not actually getting any closer to heaven. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. So I think, well, yeah. And I, I think I've seen this as well. Like when I, when I, I've spoken to churches before and I'm like, you know, what do you, what do you want to do to invest in the community? And they're like, oh, we should do vegetarian cooking classes. You know? And nothing <laughs> against hating on vegetarian cooking classes. But realistically, they're not doing vegetarian cooking classes because that's actually when the need of the community. Like the people across the street from our church probably, you know, would struggle to even afford dinner, let alone a nice vegetarian dinner. Mm. You just want to do vegetarian cooking classes. You know what I mean? And it's, I, I, I've, there's something I've been wrestling with is well how do you how do you move from not to something you want to do because i mean you do need to have your own drive to do it as well but not just something you want to do but something that is an actual real proven need Mm. around your local area yeah 
exactly. And it even it even infects us in the sense of like we've seen probably you know eighties, nineties, early two thousands this sort of big mega church movement and not dissing on any of that because these guys have been doing amazing jobs connecting with their community, like your Rick Warrens mm. and those guys, like fantastic what they do. But there's been this sort of move like, well, we need to replicate what they're doing and we just become this big church. And, and I mean, what's your end game? Like, what are you actually aiming to achieve? Just becoming a big church for what purpose? I mean, it, it's got to be missionally minded. It's got to be about uh, meeting people, rescuing them and, 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 making them disciples of Jesus. Um, like I saw this really powerful statement the um, <clears throat> just yesterday um, online that said, it was actually a quote from John Wesley, and it, it basically said that um, our job is not to make converts, our job is to make disciples. Yeah. And I went, Amen. oh, hang on. Like, but you think about the, it's a deep thought, like, but it's, yeah. uh, you think about what the difference between those two is. You know, yeah. uh, converts is making you like me, Making a disciple is introducing a person to Jesus so Jesus can impact their life, change them in a real way, um, and then they can do the same for someone else. Um, I've been recently even struggling with this with myself because growing up and getting into ministry, I always looked at the Rick Warren Church as the ideal, you know, the, the stage and the lights and the huge auditorium. And even in myself, and I'm just speaking for myself. I'm not speaking for anybody else, but if anybody else is like me, um, and I know that I'm not that different from most other young pastors, it does, I've had to identify, yeah, it's about ego at the end of the day. You know, am I doing this for ego? Am I wanting to build a great big church for the sake of my own ego? And I'm not trying to cast aspersions on any mega church pastor who, um, in their heart, maybe their heart is to, 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 to win souls for Christ and do it in the most effective, efficient way. But I know for me, I've had to come to this realization and kind of, I guess, kick myself up the butt for it in a way, realizing, mm. hang on, uh, my my motives aren't 100% pure in this. Um, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of it, I've been, ter- I've been turned off a lot by the, the big church um, because of that reason. And it's got nothing to do with big churches, it's got everything to do with me. So I think it's worth having that self-examination, I suppose. And I guess, I, I, you know, reflecting on that, it's totally true. I struggle with that every day. Like, you know, just keeping that balance that it's about being missional, it's about connecting to the heart of God, it's not about me and making a name for myself or being successful or, you know, um, all that sort of stuff. Because that. That's always there. And I think if someone says that that's totally not a part of it and they don't struggle with it at all, then that's when you've got to worry. They're probably yeah. lying. <laughs> no, I'm the humblest person in the world. I had never struggled with ego. Oh, my goodness. That's right. <laughs> so, what, what would you... <laughs> Moses, he was the most meek man on earth, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so good. What would you say in your church then? What are some of the hallmarks, I guess, that you would say, like, here are some things that we've done directly because of the community around us, like to be more for them rather than us? So, yeah, I guess to to start, kick that off, um, we're not doing it perfectly, but what we're aiming to do, we're aiming to make sure that that's what we consider in everything we do. So we're really a work in progress in that way. 
Um, and we're honest about that. We say to the people who are coming along saying, we haven't got this figured out yet, but mm. this is what we're aiming to do. So we're really keen on your feedback um, because we're willing to change if it's not doing the right thing. So, And what I mean by That's... doing the right thing is being genuinely missional and genuinely meeting the community. That's cool. Even just that in itself is amazing mm. <laughs> that you're willing to accept feedback and change everything you're doing. Yeah. And, so, and so literally for, everything. Yeah. So for people's, wow. um, so for people's clarity, uh, maybe just for my clarity, I, we probably already um, touched on this, but can you just describe to us exactly what sort of, what's your church environment that you're working in now? What's your load? What are you working with? Just so that people can kind of get into their heads. This is what it actually looks like. Yeah. So I guess the, the beginning of this church plant process was I had two churches and I was working a 50% load in both of those churches. One of them is Elizabeth, and that's the mother church for this new church plant. Um, and as we've been working um, and trying to get things off the ground, basically I had to sort of uh, trailblaze with our church um, at Elizabeth and invest in this new church plant to then have the conference and others say, hey, what you're doing is good. We believe in it. Let's invest in it. So mm. just this year, they've given me a 40% loading to work in the church plant, and I've got a 50% loading in the mother church. And the mother church, they've got a core group that are working to plant this new um, church in the new location, but they're still connected in with the mother church at the moment. And, um, and so in essence, what we've done is we've um, focused for about, uh, three years on connecting with the community, building connections with them through different, um, through evangelism, through um, service um, projects and things like that. And um, and so what we're just starting now is opening a community centre in the, the target area. Wow. And in that community centre, we're partnering with ADRA and we're having a community pantry or food pantry in there. And we've also got a cafe and when I say cafe, I mean cafe, like a, yes. a legitimate cafe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> cool. Yeah, I think that's important to note because a lot of people, when they think of church, especially Adventist church and cafe, they think of uh, Milo in a styrofoam cup with a slice. <laughs> yeah. So it may be a bit controversial or push some people's boundaries, but um basically that's one of those third spaces that the community um you know really genuinely engage with and so we've got both aspects in the same community center um we're also running like a fishing club out of there um and we're going to be running like a kids in the kitchen club one of the needs that we've identified in the community but we haven't sort of started the program yet is um having like a, a homework club for kids mm. uh, maybe one or two afternoons a week because a lot of the kids are in very unstructured environments at home and they struggle to do their homework. And so just creating a space where they can come and they can have support and people who invest in them help them with their homework. Let me tell you, um, mate, my wife is a primary school teacher and if she could hear you right now. She would be like, please bring this to Palmy. Like, make this happen. Because <laughs> well, that's one of the biggest struggles that she goes through as a teacher mm. teaching years three and four is that her kids, she'll send homework home and the parents won't touch it. The parents don't care. The parents, for the most part, are really, a lot of them are quite hands-off when it comes to their own kids' education. And you see that in the classroom time and time again. So... I'm saying just hats off to you for that. That's awesome. Yeah. 
so again, like I say, that's a work in progress, but that's an identified need and we're sort of working towards that. Um, and I guess so the other part of that is for the last year we've been running um, what we call pop-up churches. So we basically wanted to have a, a church service that connected with the community and made sense to the particular community we're in, which is a lower socioeconomic community. Um, and so we thought about it like we've got young families, we've got lower socioeconomic community, um, and we sort of have some contacts some friends that are sort of open to the gospel that are a part of that, and we sort of pick their brains a little bit about what they think about church and what works for them and what doesn't. Um, and so we started with that. And the pop-up churches are our research and development, in essence. We're, we're doing it and we're saying we're trying this and we got a survey form after the service. We invite our community friends to come along and we say we're wanting to start a church for people like for, for you and also a place where you would feel comfortable bringing your friends. So... Mm-hmm. They're not fully invested in this whole faith thing yet. They're kind of interested, but they're not just thinking this is a place for me, but this is a place where I can bring my friends. So they're starting to think from a missional mindset themselves mm. uh, in coming. Um, and you, you tend to get more honest feedback then because when you're thinking about what's important for you, that can be a hard question to answer. But when you're thinking about a place or a, a service that would suit you bringing your friend to, it changes the dynamic of how you think about it. You know, you, then you start thinking about it on a different level. Like, oh, what is that? What's that person like? And what would make sense to them? What wouldn't make sense to them? Um, so um, that's been really sort of powerful. And we've run six of them in the last year and basically had uh, survey forms afterwards and sort of a, a little rundown of the structure that we've developed. A couple of things is we've got young families. Uh, we believe in having intergenerational worship, but so not just totally separating um, kids out from the families. Um, but often church services are way too long. Um, we have way too much crammed in there. Um, most of the stuff we do is for us uh, and things like that. So we made a commitment that our church services would go for 50 minutes um, The other thing that we've done is we've put the sermon or the talk, we just call it a talk, um, at the almost at the very beginning, um, because people's attention is is more fresh then. And kids, like I know, I've got kids, man. And the the longer it goes on, the tireder they get, the hungrier get they get, the more feral they get. And so what what we found it's, it's is truth, um, man, it's just truth. It's truth. Um, what we found is that. Um, you know, we could have the most friendly welcomers. We could have the, 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 you know, the greatest worship program, most relevant talk and great food and everything goes super well. But we have a single mum bring her kids and if her kids are noisy and disruptive, then it doesn't matter how well you did everything else. She's going to walk away from there thinking, I'm never coming back again. Mm. Not because I didn't enjoy it, not because you weren't friendly, but because... I didn't feel comfortable with my kids. Mm. And so if we can make that and uh, minimize that as much as possible and create an environment where she's going to feel comfortable with her kids, for example, or it could be a single dad, um, you know, then, then it's going to hit everyone else as well. Um, mm. 
So there are a couple of things, <clears throat> and <clears throat> then we have a, a break after the worship service. <clears throat> we have a kids' club, and then for the adults, um, we sort of developed from sitting in rows to then sitting around tables. <clears throat> what we ended up doing is we, we sit around tables and have table discussion based on the, the sermon, but it's all about minimizing barriers. So we have facilitators there. But often when you sit in a group, like it's funny because we found with the people that we know in the community, coming along and hearing a speaker is less daunting than coming and sitting in a round table and having to chat. Mm. Like That's hugely intimidating for people. So they're actually more open to coming and just sitting in a service and hearing a speaker than they are coming like we think, oh, everyone wants community. Everyone wants to sit yeah, around and yeah, chat. Yeah. <clears throat> but it's daunting the first time. Um, so it's about minimizing those barriers. And uh, so one thing is that the facilitator is not the expert. Um, the questions that they ask, we make sure that they just read the question as on the paper. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. They're not an expert facilitator. <laughs> <clears throat> That's all they're doing. We work really hard on the questions being questions that anyone can answer, especially we want them to relate to life, like look at the mm. topic, but relate it back to real life that anyone can answer that question and share something. <clears throat> but everyone gets a sheet of paper as well. So everyone has the questions because then you can read through it and sort of prepare yourself rather than feeling like I don't know what's coming next. Mm. Um, if there's Bible verses, that the Bible verse is written down on the piece of paper because a lot of people don't even have a Bible on their phone. They don't know what that's mm. all about. So just minimizing a lot of those barriers for people. <clears throat> and we've had really positive feedback. And those discussion times have gone so well um, that it's really hard to kind of get, get them to stop, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> and people have really loved them. And even people who've come from the community that thought, oh, this would be intimidating. And we have good food and we have, you know, drinks and stuff that make it casual and relaxed. Um, and so the, the whole thing is set up around tables uh, sort of like a casual, relaxed environment. Um, and one piece of feedback that we actually had that we didn't expect was um, we tried to make the music as um, accessible, you know, the worship music as accessible to people as possible. But we, we had a lot of um, feedback from the community people. As community people, they said, well, I never sing, and it's weird for me standing, and it's weird singing. Um I, I don't get that aspect. Like, <laughs> I don't even like it. <clears throat> and we were just totally surprised and blown away and going, yeah. never thought about that before. Like, what do we do with that? <laughs> um, so what we, what we do now, we just, we've, we moved more towards um, a format where we kind of make it more like a special item. Um, we run it exactly the same, so the people stand up the front and they do the song and we put the words on the screen, but we kind of call it a special item, but we say, hey, if you know the song and you want to sing along, you're welcome to, <clears throat> and people sit back. And that way it means that if you don't want to sing or you, it's not your sort of thing, you're totally comfortable to sort of sit back and you're probably going to get more out of it because you're going to listen to the – you're going to listen to it from a different aspect you're going to read the words on the screen and maybe it will impact you um, rather than you thinking the whole time of this is really awkward, why am I standing and I don't sing, like, but these other people are, you know. So mm. 
<clears throat> that's fascinating. I would think like for me, that's that's probably when I would start getting a bit precious. Like, no, but that's what we do. You know what I mean? Like, and that's the tradition in me coming out already. But as soon as somebody talks about like taking away something that I love, and that like obviously like I get a lot of meaning out of that. It would be difficult, I think. Like running a church where obviously it's, it's no longer about you. It's about it's about others. Yeah, I can and imagine I guess that would be challenging. We still do it, um, but yeah. trying to do it in a way that it's accessible for people. Um, yeah, yeah. That are coming from the community, and but it's funny that you say that because um, the biggest thing we've had a reaction from people within our group that are, that are part of the core team, um, and also others who are observing what we're doing is when we share that about the music. That's when people tend to go, they, like they're usually nodding their heads with the other stuff. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, people should like singing with us, you know. <laughs> It's that's surprising, but I suppose in a way not surprising. That being such a core thing with Christianity, that's the things that, that's one of the things that Christians do, especially when it comes to church. We listen to sermons and we sing. Mm, exactly. So. <laughs> wow. No, so, yeah, and I guess uh, like an, another aspect as well is um, for myself as the pastor is we're developing teams that run different aspects not this nominating committee idea. We don't have positions like you normally have. Everything's all about what needs to be done and creating teams to run those different areas um, and having people cycle through the different teams so they get an idea of what needs to happen in the different areas. So everyone gets an idea and and trying to make it that they're running it and they know what to do. Mm. Um, And then on top of that, I made a conscious decision that – I would preach, like last year we had six pop-up churches that I'd only preach maximum of twice out of all of those. And we had people from our own community share and preach because I didn't want it to become personality or pastor-centric. I wanted people who came along to feel that this is a community where everyone has something to share and anyone can get up and share something, in essence. Yeah, Yeah, that's a very different... I think the Christian in me again would say, no, the pastor has to preach because that's the pastor's job is to preach, you know? <laughs> yeah, but that's an interesting... Yeah. It's, again, what I love about what you're saying is, and you were saying, we were talking about this before we you know, started recording, is when you went into this, you were really going into it saying, how can we reinterpret and reinvent church without feeling like we have to do certain things because we have to do it? Is that, is that partly where that comes from as well? Yeah, I guess in essence, and it it even challenges us on a a deeper level in the sense that what makes the church what it is, and I know we say this theoretically, right, the church is people, but really, if we really nutted it down most of the time, what would, if, if we're really honest with ourselves, what is church a lot of the time in a lot of places? Church a lot of the time is an event. Mm. It's a program. <clears throat> it's something I go to and I attend. And um, and that's how we sort of define it a lot of the time. So <clears throat> the question is, could church exist without the event? What if we didn't have a church service? Could the church still be the church? Um, and if you look back at the early church, have a look at them. Like how centred were they around a specific service at a specific time? and place mm. 
yeah. right? Yeah. If you took the service away, was the church and the community that they were going to crash and fall? Mm. No. I mean, in many cases, that was a reality because some synagogues ended up locking them out of there, out of being able to attend. So, yes, they were meeting together in homes and doing worship, but that had to be very much contextualized to where they were, where they were uh, if they were living in a city that the synagogue was not friendly towards them. So... Mm. I guess what I, and what I'm saying is that I mean they did meet together they did have corporate worship it says that they met daily together to pray in the temple it's not that they didn't have that but what I'm saying is it wasn't about that you know um, the community was a community they genuinely were a community and they were genuinely the, the the number one thing they were about was the purpose which they had which was making disciples of Jesus to spread that um, message to the whole world. Um, you know, if you were starting over again and you wanted to create the church and you were wanting to create a structure that, that made that and did that, um, uh, you know, effectively, and we said, scrap everything, this is our purpose. Our purpose is to be a community that lives out what Jesus says and to share that with other people and to spread this around the world, would we come up with the structure we now have, Mm. um, that's a great question to ask, and I think that leads really well into the next bit, which is, I mean, obviously you didn't come up with all this in a vacuum, right? You, you've had experiences and time and study and scripture and prayer and discussion with people to come, kind of formulate this, but one of the things that you had the opportunity to do, which I'm assuming influenced and shaped a lot of it, is your experience with Francis Chan and, and We Are Church. Would you like to just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I guess um, a lot of people would have a very similar um, introduction to Francis Chan's, um, uh, what Francis Chan has been doing the last few years as me. I basically just saw an interview he did uh, or a talk he did with Facebook employees mm. a few years back. I don't know if you saw that. Mm, yeah. <clears throat> that went around on the internet a bit. Yeah. And I can remember watching it. I was just captivated by what he was saying and some of the stuff he was sharing, uh, which sort of touched on some of the principles we're talking about. But at the very end, he shares that oh, I've started this new, like I left my mega church. Like I basically started this big church. It went really well. Um, it was really successful. It got to like 10,000 people. It was growing so fast that we couldn't build um, a facility fast enough that was big enough for it. But basically, he got to the point where he went, is this really the way we're meant to be doing church? Is this what it's really about? And he says something that really resonated with me, which is, um, is the purpose of church for thousands of people to come and sit and watch one person use their spiritual gift for an hour each week? Mm. And I just went, like, is is that the church being the, the church in a powerful way? <laughs> um or is that a, a, a waste of resources, you know? Um, so he sort of started on this journey and thinking about it and eventually left his mega church and decided to, like he went off to Asia for a while to sort of re, regather and rethink about what is church and how do we do it and met up with quite a few people um, in Asia and obviously uh, India and China a lot of the stuff that they're doing is house churches out of necessity um, because they can't gather in those big groups often. 
And he was very influenced by some of those guys. And he came back and went, well, I want to start a house church. And what I wanted to make, make it about is that this is a multiplying house church. Um, it's not about me. Um, we start it and we start it to multiply and to reach people. <clears throat> and uh, that's called We Are Church in San Francisco. So I sort of heard about it and I, I investigated it a little bit. And um, I was on this journey with doing this, the, the church plant that we're doing now. And I was really taken by some of the stuff that they were doing. And I saw that they have a, a, an intensive training at his house church in San Francisco. And it's not just to sit down and we're going to talk to you about a whole bunch of stuff and give you a whole bunch of information, but you're going to come and you're going to be a part of the community and we're going to immerse you in the community and show you what we do. Um, so <clears throat> I kind of talked to my conference exec um, and those guys and said, hey, there's this really cool training. <clears throat> um, I'm doing a, a church plant. I think this might be relevant to me. Could you pay for me to go? <laughs> <laughs> And they were like, is it Adventist? <laughs> and I was like, no, not at all. <laughs> and they were like, why not? Okay. <laughs> I kind of sweetened the deal. I said, oh, look, um, <clears throat> I'm going to be flying into LA, so I'll go check out Tim Gillespie's crosswalk, uh, crosswalk Church at the same time. And they are like, Perfect. oh, you're doing something Adventist? No worries. So, <laughs> yep. Nice. Which was cool. That that was a, a good experience as well. But um, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, went went and uh, and spent a week with them, and you basically get involved with uh, the. You do training, but you also get involved with their house churches, and you go along to their house churches. And um, the very the very first thing that we experienced though was really interesting because we met at six a.m. at the building on a Sunday morning and that was the, the beginning. Like I haven't I don't know any of the guys that are coming for the intensive. You're just given this rendezvous point outside this random building. At six AM it's still dark in San Francisco and you're cold and you rock up and there's just all these people sort of starting together and <laughs> these guys come out of this building and say, Hey, welcome, you know, come inside. Um and basically what we were being invited into was uh the core group um, the leaders meeting that they have every week and they have it at 7.30 a.m. or 7 a.m. Um, and so they brought us up and they said, look, guys, this is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be talking about this as leaders. Now, you're here to observe. Please don't join in. Because <laughs> um, yep. it, you know, it ruins the dynamics. It's not what you're here for. Just please just sit back and watch. We're welcoming you in here to see what we do and how we do things, but just observe. Um, and they're supposedly meant to be talking about um, uh, how they were going to be splitting for the next year because they aim to um, divide or to not divide, they aim to multiply their groups every year, so double. Uh, they're meant to be talking about that, but um, they got there and then Francis is there and he's leading out and he just starts sharing his heart and sharing what God's doing in his life and shares scripture and it just turned, in, the Holy Spirit took over and it turned into something else. If you've seen Francis Chan... Mm. Um, mm. Online, you could imagine what it was like. Um, and the thing is, what you see online is what you see in person. It's just totally, it's just genuine. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, he's a pretty awe-inspiring guy to be around. Um, mm. uh, and he was basically, was yeah, he was challenging the guys. He was sharing and saying, um, yeah, like 
we shouldn't criticize other people. We shouldn't criticize other Christians. Um, our job is not to break down the temple of God. Our, our job is to build up. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so let's not judge others. And also we need to be genuine in our worship to God. Like how often when we come to worship are we focused on us? Um, we need to be, you know, genuinely um, uh, transparent and open to God uh, in worship. So, <clears throat> and it just, and then halfway through, like Francis is sh- uh, sharing, uh, he gets down on his knees and he starts like basically repenting and praying to God and going, God, I'm so sorry. You know, you can, if you've seen Francis, you sort of know what he's doing. Yeah. And he's just lost in a moment with God and he's just like on his knees, on his face, on the floor, going, God, I'm so sorry for the way I do things wrong and everything else. And then everyone else is down on their knees on the floor and Whoa. they're praying at once and you're like, whoa, is this like a Pentecostal thing? <laughs> <laughs> I was sort of like grabbing my chair going, what's going on? But um, but it wasn't that at all. Like it was just really genuine um, heartfelt sort of thing. And by the end of it, I'm on my my knees with my face on the floor going, yeah, I do that too. Like, um, mm. So, I mean, that's kind of like the introduction to the week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to, yeah, the intensity. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Um, but then from there, we went to one of the house churches and we actually um, you know, interacted with them and they have a really simple worship style. So I guess um, they keep things really simple and um, they have a very simple structure where um, they have a pastor for each church and they have an assistant pastor for each church. And then the whole idea is they're going to grow that church and then and then uh, multiply the next year and the assistant pastor becomes the pastor and then they get new assistant pastors. It's a really simple model that they use. Um, and it's all just about being genuine community with each other. The big th- One of the th- things I got out of it that they have a big emphasis is, on is um, – that every single person in the church uh, is committed to reading through the Bible in a year and they are committed to um, catching up within a small group on the phone or whatever else every morning to talk about what they're reading. Mm. Uh, And then they're also committed to spend one hour a week with someone else who's discipling them in a discipling relationship, like genuine catching up and talking about spirituality, where you, how you are and what's going on, um, and you're also expected to disciple someone else. Mm. So there's two hours a week, you know, one hour you're spending with someone who's discipling you and then you're spending time with someone you're discipling. Um, and I guess that for me that was the really sort of powerful thing out of it is that they just had that core expectation, which – wasn't an easy expectation, um, but it, it, it resulted in genuine community and um, people growing. You know, mm-hmm. there was nowhere. There's nowhere to hide in that in that environment. No, you, know, you can't sit back, eh? <laughs> no. <laughs> so no passengers in a sense. So and yeah, and that that was pretty cool. Um, and I I came back and I just I looked at what we were doing, but the big thing was. Um, I sort of toyed with uh, implementing his model, like where we were and doing a house church. But at that stage, like it just wasn't a practical reality, like with my ministry load and everything else to be able to do that. Um, Mm. So for me, it's not about the model that you use. It's more about the principles that you're implementing. 
Um, so what principles have you carried over from We Are Church to, I'm assuming your church plants is probably the best place that you can apply that stuff? Yeah. I guess the, the, the key thing is keeping things really quite simple. Um, and and like I, I expressed to you before is like making sure that everything that we do is focused on connecting to those people that we're trying to reach. Mm. Um, and at the same time, modeling discipleship. So the other thing that we do is we've got uh, what we call Bible reading groups um, where we just get together and we read the Bible together. Um, and that's all it is. And um, and they're just small groups where we do that. And that's the core. That's meant to be the core growth um, uh, module of our church is people coming together and reading the Bible together and growing and, and talking real, like not just kind of reading it and talking theologically, like, oh, what's this all about? But what is, how, how do I live this out? Like, what do you actually do with that? Mm. Mm. No, that's cool. Do you think that We Are Church is like that model? And I, again, I, I hear you. It's not about models. It's about principles. And um, I'm a big uh, advocate of um, the Simple Church book and the Simple Church philosophy that um, Tom Rayner and Eric Geiger um, really advocated in that book. Do you see that house church model, though, I suppose, working within our context? Because I can think on probably one hand, you know, how many house churches I've seen actually work. It just seems that Adventists always default to going to a church every every weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's tough. There's a few guys that are out there like um, doing it and experimenting with it around the place. Um, uh, you know, I know a few in Australia, like there's, uh, Francis Pule wouldn't call his, his church network a house church network, but, um, operates on similar sort of principles and, um, Joseph Scaff down in, in Newcastle is sort of doing the same sort of thing. It's, it's difficult. I think the key thing is that, um, you've got to start with the core group that really, um, are sold out on on that kind of model and um, being committed to it. But I guess I think a lot of the time we're used to, like I think we honestly have made things a club mentality where I want my minimum commitment to this to be, um, you know, coming along and I'm totally in control of how much demand this places on my life. And so one of the things is that that's what we tend to default to, and that's what I want to default to. Um, it's it's the difference between you know volunteerism and ministry. Like volunteer volunteers, mm. you know, like well, you're a volunteer, so there's a limitation to how much expectation there is on you in this role. And this, you know, my job is to be the bulletin editor. So you send me the stuff, I write it in the bulletin. I type it up, I print it out. That's my contribution job done. Um, But the gospel doesn't say that. Um, The New Testament doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say that. It actually says your whole life is given to God. Mm. And he's actually the one that's now in control of everything in your life. So ministry is actually meant to tie into every aspect of our life rather than ministry is defined to this one task or this one activity that I'm involved in. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's really hard, it, honestly, because 
even in my context, it's something that um, we've talked about um, a fair bit, uh, whether the house church model works or not. Um, and it's always this debate back and forth between um, what I sense God is wanting for us, like that burning passion of like, let's do ministry and let's get out there and let's save, you know, save souls for the kingdom and all that sort of really great stuff that we get excited about versus, well, at the end of the day, I kind of just want to go to church and have my little job and not do that much more. Like, uh, like it sounds really quite depressing when you think about it that way, but that kind of is the default for people, which is really sad. But I guess part of what we're doing in ministry here is trying to elevate people's expectations above and beyond what they're used to, what the normative process is, what the, you know, the bare minimum requirements are supposed to be in all that. There's another reason why that often doesn't seem to work. And that is like, if you read a lot of stuff um, from uh, people in the States that that talk about church and and all that sort of stuff, they talk about your scorecard, right? A big problem with Adventism of why this doesn't often fly is because of the scorecard we use, or in other words, the way we measure success, whether something Mm -hmm. is successful or not. So what we do is we go, how many people are you getting along? How much tithe is there? How many baptisms do you have? Not um, how many people are investing in their spiritual life, um, how many many people are growing, um, how many disciples are you making, um, you know, how much of a person's life are they investing into the mission of Jesus. We don't measure any of that. And what happens with these house churches is they can be slow burns in that way that because we're used to this, this culture over here, it's such a big change to come over and and start, you know, changing into that context, into that mindset. Yeah. Um, it takes a while. And so you've got to be committed to it for a while. And you also have to be willing to be committed to it no matter how many people or how many people think you're doing it. Like everyone's going to stand there and going, what you're doing is crazy. It's not really church, um, blah, 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 because they're using the old mindset of, you know, how you measure stuff. And you just have to be committed to that. Um, And in the long run, what you find is that there are bigger results with that. Um, And a good example, if anyone wants to research this stuff more, um, is there's a guy in the the States called Ralph Moore, and he basically started a house church network. And he sort of started, I think, in the States and also in Hawaii. When he started it in Hawaii, this is the amazing thing. 4% 4% of the population in Hawaii attended church every week. Wow. And by the time he had finished, that had grown to about 20%. Whoa. His movement that he started there in the church network he started radically changed the whole culture of the entire place. Um, and so Ralph Moore himself has himself planted maybe around about um, 15 to 20, I think it was around about um, 15 to 20 churches himself. Mm. But um, from what they've been able to count, <clears throat> from the churches he's planted, those churches have planted other churches, and these are mostly sort of house church model type, but they've planted other churches, but then those churches plant other churches and they plant other churches. So he started maybe about 15 to 20 churches, but out of the churches he's planted, 
there's been 2,500 new congregations oh started. In, 40, in the last 40 years of his ministry, it's not him in, uh, personally planting them, but out of what he started, there's been 2,500 new churches. Um, and that's, the, that's what I mean by the power. Like, you know, Jesus gave us a model of exponential growth <clears throat> versus just addition. And what we base our, our model off is addition. So we measure stuff and we go, oh, wow, you've taken a church from 100 people to 130 people. Well done, Jesse, like, and you've gotten 15 baptisms last year, like, you know, champion. <clears throat> but then the person over here who's been investing the last three years on starting this house church and they've just gotten their first baptism, we go, mm, we don't believe that's actually working. But what's that going to look like 30 years down the track compared to what we're doing? <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> So there's that exponential kind of growth that you can get from it. And when we look at Jesus' ministry, Jesus was not interested in the crowds and gathering the crowds. He spent really mainly three and a half years with his 12 dudes. And at the end of three and a half years of ministry, you know, after, you know, just before Pentecost, there's 120 people in that room. And a lot of people go, well, uh, how successful was that? But then look at the model that he used and when they implemented how quickly it spread. Literally, um, when the Holy Spirit comes down, we're going from 120 people to thousands in like a single day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but it's not it's not based on just this model of, you know, it being a, a small thing in your life and uh, it not really changing much. And, hey, what we want you to do is instead of going to the synagogue, come to this other service once a week and that's what we want from you. It's, it totally changed the people's lives um, in a radical way mm. um, and demanded everything. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's such a big conversation. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But uh, how do we practically implement these things? You know, um, I think one of the things is we've got to – one of the things is we've got to if, – if our organization isn't going to change the scorecard – if you're going to be going into this area and wanting to do something like this and do house churches, you've got to be prepared that the scorecard others have for you and the scorecard you have for yourself is different and not be bothered by how they're measuring you. Mm. Um, be committed to the process and, um, and that in turn will eventually, once that plays out and it may not, it may take 10 years to play out. Mm. Um, then it will start having an impact on our own church culture. So can it happen within that Adventism? Yes, it can, but we've got to be realistic and honest about what the barriers are to that. Yeah. Ah, oh, that's so cool. I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be like thinking about this for ages and I already can't wait till we release this episode so I can re-listen to it again. <laughs> um, but I think that's a, that's a really good place to actually kind of land it, Matt. And, um, we are running pretty over time, but it's been worth it, in my opinion. It's been really cool. Um, so thank you so much for sharing. Uh, any any final thoughts you wanted to add? I guess the big thing is that, um, you know, if, if people, um, you know, are feeling like there's stuff in this episode that they're connecting with, and, you know, don't, don't jump out of where you are and go, you know, full crazy sort of, <laughs> um, yep. you know, it's not about being radical overnight, if you know what I mean. Um, it's about just, like I said, <clears throat> think about how you can start 
uh, implementing some of these principles in your own life. And it starts with your own connection with God. Um, And how can you, in a real way, connect with other people and orientate yourself to connect with other people in your community? Um, So, yeah, hopefully that's helpful in some way for people. Yeah, no, super practical. Love that. Um, Now, if if people want to get in in contact with you, because I imagine there will be a bunch who are like, I want to start a house church, you know what I mean? (laughs) People who are interested in just hearing more about your ideas. Uh, Is there a place that's, that's best to find you? Yeah, look, probably the best place to find me, um, two places would be, look me up on Facebook, just mm-hmm. Matthew Hunter, you'll see me in Adelaide, I've got a big beard, you won't miss me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I look like a crazy person, maybe I am, I don't know. Um, <laughs> a person for Jesus. That's yeah. right. Um, <clears throat> but no, and also my email address, which is Matthew Hunter with a double T, so pretty easy, Matthew Hunter at adventist.org.au. Anyone can email me anytime. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much. Um, appreciate that. I'm sure we'll have lots of feedback about this episode and so I'm excited to see and we might even have to get you back to, to hear an update later on to see how it's all going because I think I'm super interested to see how this all unfolds. But um, thank you so much. Um, and thanks everyone for listening and being a part of it. Um, we'd love to hear your thoughts. So get in contact with us you can get in contact with us on social but for all the best ways to connect to Burn the Haystack and all things Burn the Haystack go to burnthehaystack.org and if you haven't already please subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on whatever podcasting app that you use we'd really appreciate that if you did mm, absolutely you can write, try and write a review as long as Matt's beard that would just be <laughs> very special um, <laughs> But hey, thanks for listening, everyone. Stay awesome. That is Josh and Jesse out.